0: Greetings Grapple fans, it's time for another break from our regularly scheduled programming as myself, Locke and Mullen and my let me tell you something co-host Simon Cross, go through all the matches that we've watched already in this of five star a thon that we've been going on and reflect and start to rank and rate and recommend and not recommend as we look at which ones we think personally are the best and then try to make some sorts of definitive top five list for you and your Uh, potential viewing pleasures if you haven't been following along with us but want to get an idea of what are some of the key matches to check out. Um, To give you an idea, last year uh, we rated these matches. These were my top ten matches from last time, uh, which covered matches 1 to 30, which took us up to August of 1992. Uh, My top ten have been at 10. Sting Squadron against the Dangerous Alliance at Wrestle War 92's War Games. Then I went with Tenru and Kawada taking on Hanson and Gordy in the World's Strongest Tag League in 1989, I believe it was. Might be wrong there. It was definitely the World's Strongest Tag League. Might have got the year wrong. Then it was the first of several. Six man encounters between the super generation army of Misawa, Kobashi, and Kawada against Jumbo Saruta, Akira Tawe, and Masanobu Fushi. That was the first one of those matches that took place in 1990. My number seven was the second encounter that we watched between Ric Flair and Barry Wyndham. It was for the NWA World title. It was aired on an episode of NWA Worldwide Television in January of 1988, I believe. Then it was a fan cam shot house show match between Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat for Steamboat's recently won NWA World title in Landover, Maryland. My number five was the legendary June 1990 encounter at Budokan Hall between Miss Howard and Saruta, which was the start of the passing of the torch from one generation to the other. Then at number four, I had Ric Flair and Mickey Steamboat's two out of three falls encounter at Clash the Champion 6 in New Orleans, Louisiana. My number three choice was a... All-Asia Tag Team Championship encounter as Kent Kabashi teams up with Soyoshi Kikuchi to try and wrest the titles away from the Can-Am Express of Doug Furness and Dan Crawford. My number two choice was the second of the six-man tag matches between Misawa Kabashi and Kawada against Saruta, Tatawe and Fushi. That one took place in 1991. And my final number one of the list of that first 30 matches was Ric Flair Wrestling for the last time for the NWA World Heavyweight Title against Ricky Steamboat at Wrestle War eighty nine. Simon, what was your list before that? Uh, before the previous, at the end of the previous debriefing.
1: Okay, doke So my top ten was at ten, uh, Jumbo Saruta and Tenru versus Ricky Choshu and Yatsu. Uh, my number nine was Tenru and Kawada versus Hanson and Gordy. My, my number nine as well. My number eight, uh, staying on the Stan Hansen theme, Hansen and Brody versus the Funks, a very cowboy-based affair. Uh, but, but, but that takes me to number seven, which was my f- the first incarnation of uh, the Jumbo Saruta versus Misawa um, six-man tag matches. Uh, and then s- s- skipped straight to the third one that we saw out of that series. Uh, for number six. Number five. Uh, I have Flare versus Wyndham 2. Which was your number seven. Um, at number four. I have Flare versus Steamboat. The third incarnation. Matching you. Uh, at number three. I also match you. Um, get a little bit of cam and flavour. As they took on Kabashi and Kikuchi. Uh Now this is where we entered like a very heated discussion. My number two was the Flair Steamboat match, which you had at number one. And my number one was the Jumbo Misawa six-man tag match you had at number two.
0: So when we worked our differences out and we both made a concession each, when we finally decided our final definitive five, and that was to allow your number five in as the agreed number five, because there wasn't much in the way of differences, but where there were, there was heated discussion. And so our mutual number five was Flair Windham 2. Our mutual number four genuinely on both of our lists was Flair Steamboat's two out of three falls match at Clash of the Champions 6, as was a mutual third place with Kabashi and Kikuchi taking on Crawford and Furnace. Our mutual number two was Masawa... Well, it wasn't our mutual number two, but then we agreed upon second place going to the second Masawa, Kawada, Kabashi against Saruta, Taui and Fushi match that took place on the 2nd of April 1991. And our definitive number one stayed what it had been from the first debrief, which was Flair Steamboat at WrestleWar 89. So, Simon, have we made any changes to our list? Well, let me just quickly remind you of what the previous ten matches that we've covered have been. And there have been a few more five stars being handed out by both of us, but not necessarily for the same matches. So will that affect things both individually and together? Well, I'll have to find out. Our 31st match was a AAA six-man trios encounter, as Heavy Metal, Pakudo, and Psychosis took on Rey Mysterio Jr., all 18 years old of him, Super and winners. Then we had an All Japan Women Double Bill of Dream Slam 1's tag team match between Cutie Suzuki and Miyumi Ozaki against the Inawe's Kyoko and Takeo. Then we had Dream Slam 2 a week later as Dynamite Kanzai and Miyumi Ozaki of JWP attempted to claim the WWWA <laughs> titles away from Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada in a 2 out of 3 falls match. Then we saw a truncated highlights version of the Champions Carnival clash in 1993 between Toshiaki Kawada and Kenta Kabashi. That was the start of our 5 match Kabashi-thon as then Kabashi was teaming up with Misawa and super rookie Junakiyama. Let's take on Kawada, his Holy Demon Army teammate, Tawei, and Yoshinari Ogawa. Then we had a couple of Kobashi singles matches. First one against Stan Hansen in July of 1993. And then another one against Steve Williams, Dr. Death himself, on the 31st of August 93. And the Kabashi thon ended with the World's Strongest Tag League final as he and Masawa teamed up to face against the Holy Demon Army of Kawada and Tawei. Then we had a rematch from the 2 out of 3 falls WWWA Tag Team Titles match, but this was only under one fall, as Manami Sayota and Toshio Yamada took on Dynamite Kanzai and Mayumi Ozaki one more time. And then we ended our run of 10 episodes here with another 6-man All Japan Tag Match, and this time Masaru and Kabashi were teaming up with the godfather of All Japan himself, Shohei Giant Baba to take on Toshi Akikwada, Akira Tawe, and making his final appearance for us in this series, the Shit house Masanobu Fushi. <sighs> so some have been added, some have been subtracted. Let's find out where we are. Simon, how many new additions are there to your list, and how has that affected the moves and Shakers, as it were? Well, there are two brang-spanking-new matches in my top ten. How about you? And there are two... There are two more for me as well. So that means that my 10 and 8, 10 and 9 of my previous list, Sting Squadron and the Dangerous Alliance, and Tenru and Kawada against Hansen and Gordy have been eliminated from that list. How about yourself, Simon?
1: Uh, well, yeah, so this town ain't big enough for the 10 of them. So I have lost um, the Gordy match, and I've also lost my Saruta and Tenru versus Chosu. Choshu and Yatsu match.
0: You get a bit close to the mic, so sorry, Simon. It's a bit hard to hear you sometimes. Oh, I literally put the thing in the way. That's why. Yeah, that doesn't help, man. Sorry. Um, yes. So where my new entries have been added, they are the six, the um, the two out of three falls match between Dynamite Kanzai and Miyumi Ozaki, uh, taking on Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada. That has jumped up to sixth place. And the singles match between Kenta Kabashi and Stan Hansen was the other match I gave five stars from those ten matches. And that has now jumped up to fifth place. So, um, actually, no, tell a lie. I have added another one. Uh, Yes, sorry, I apologize. I've also added at number ten... Kent Kabashi's match against Dr. Death Steve Williams. That means that three have been knocked off. That's right. The uh, Masawa Kabashi Kawada Saruta Tawe Fushi first six-man tag has also left that list. Damn. So to give you a quick rundown, that means at 10, I've got Kabashi Williams. At 9, I've got Flair Wyndham 2, my previous number 7. Um, my previous number 6, Flair Steamboat at Landover, is now number 8. Misawa Tsuruta, my number 5, is now at number 7. And I've got new entries at six and five. Toyota and Yamada versus Kanzai and Ozaki at number six. Kabashi against Hansen gets into the top five. And my four to one have, cha- have not changed in the slightest. Fourth is still Flair, Steamboat, two out of three falls at the Clash of the Champions. Three, Kabashi, Kikuchi against Furnace and Crawford. Two, the Super Generation Army against Jumbo's Army in 1991, the second encounter between the three, the threesomes, between the trios. And the number one spot remains Flare Steamboat at WrestleBall 89. So, Simon, how has your top 10 been affected with your two new entries? So,
1: my first new entrant is at number six, and it is Kenta Kabashi versus Dr. Death Steve Williams. And my highest new entrant is at number two. And it is Misawa and Kobashi against Kawada and Taui, Uh The one in December 1993, which is the real world Super Tag League. Or oh, There's so many ad- adjectives they had. <clears throat> but it's the one... It's that one that took place in December. So that
0: one's now at number two for you, is it? That is it? at number
1: two.
0: So that means that your number three is Blair Steamboat at WrestleWar 89? It is, yes. Okay, so if you just want to quickly... Rundown from 10 to 1, what your new top okay, 10 are. So,
1: coming in at number 10, Hanson Brody versus the Funks. Coming in at number 9 is Jumbo's six man, Jumbo and Misawa's six man, first incarnation. Their third incarnation is at number 8. Flair Wyndham 2 is now at number 7. Uh, Kabashi Williams, first new entrant, at number 6. Flair Steamboat 3 at stays. At no, actually, Flare Steamboat 3 has fallen one place, but it's now at number five, so it's holding up the top five. Uh, the Canams kan- the um, are at number four. Flare Steamboat num- number four is at number three. <laughs> I know
0: this isn't confusing <laughs> in the slightest.
1: Uh, my new entrant of Misawa and Kabashi versus Kawada and Tawe is now at, is at number two. And I have held on to Jumbo vs. Misawa's six-man tag match Mm. as P1.
0: So so we're looking at the definitive five. Uh, The four seem obvious to stay. That's Flair Steamboat at WrestleR89. The All Japan Six tag, that remains your number one, my number two. Mm -hmm. So that should be at number two still. Uh, Kabashi Kakuchi and Furnace Crawford and Flair Steamboat at Clash 6. But it's the question now of Flair Wyndham 2. Does that get knocked off? And if so, what goes in its place? Um, the obvious candidate seeming to be Kabashi against Steve Williams, because that's my number 10 and your number 6. And also, because you have it so high, the Masawa Kawada... Kabashi uh, Masawa Kabashi Kawada Tower.
1: Yes. Now this... But
0: it's not but it feels like it should be in the mutual top 10s to me. Hmm. So that would suggest either Flair Wyndham 2 stays there or Kabashi Williams goes in there. And you gave that 5. I didn't quite give it 5, but I didn't quite give Would neither of us quite gave Flair Wyndham 2 to 5. True. Kabashi Hansen's the highest new entry for me, as is the the All Japan Women's 6 out of 10, 2 out of 3 falls match. 6 out of 10 falls, that would have been a hell of a match. (laughs) I think they do that in Mexico. Um, (laughs) um, So what do you think? Kabashi Williams at number 5?
1: I can see the logic behind putting that one there. I think it's the most natural fit, considering Hmm. we... Built, we work off compromise, and I think you are. No, we don't. No, I, but I do think you are right in terms of. I think our definitive top fives should be something we have both said is
0: top ten worthy. Until we reach the point where we don't have a yeah. mutual five at all, which means which we might be getting to at this rate. If my number ten is what's getting into the top five,
1: my I do love. The Misawa Kabashi tag match that I have added in, um, and I I do recommend people watch it. And it is personally to me one of the best matches that I have. Ever, well, it's the second best match I've ever watched as part of this. Um, but I just I'll have it. to
0: give it a rewatch if I have the chance because I don't remember being that gripped by it because I found Misawa too all empowering. He was like the Captain Marvel of the uh, <laughs> All Japan world in that match he
1: was yeah he he did absolutely clean house and I can see why people think that's detrimental but maybe it's the fact that as I say if I get swept up in it it, it usually sits better and this took me along with it for the ride this match
0: mm. so
1: th- that's my reasoning but I will I'd say we should put the uh, Steve Williams Kenta Kabassi match in at number 5 pure, pure on the basis that we didn't go all the way with Flair
0: Wyndham's second outing. Mm. And one of us did for that. Yeah, It was interesting, because I did dish out two five stars and you dished out two five stars during the matches 31 to 40, but none of them were for the same match. No. I gave five to the All Japan Women 2 out of 3 4s and Kabashi Hansen, and you then gave it to the next two matches in that Kabashi-thon of Kabashi Williams and Masao Kobashi against Kawada and Tawei. yeah so just to reiterate because you've heard a lot of names and a lot of incarnations and a lot of numbers and all that that might not mean anything to you so I will try to simplify it as best as I can our new and improved Definitive 5 a new entry at number 5 and it's Kent Kobashi facing off against Steve Williams on the 31st of August 1993 then at number four, we've got Flair Steamboat in their two out of three falls match at Clash of the Champions 6. Then we have Kabashi Kikuchi against Furnace and Crawford for the All-Asia Tag Team titles. Then it's Misawa Kawada Kabashi against Saruta Tawai and Fushi in April 1991. And then we finish it off as always has it been. With Flair, Steamboat at Wrestle War eighty nine. It was number one when we started this debriefing session, and it's number one three debriefs on. It's that so good. So will... damn good? Mm. So it's it's interesting. Those strong. It seems like the top four are strongly held, and it will take something to knock them both, knock any of them off, because they still rank so highly. Whereas number five is a bit of a free for all at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I looking at looking at the list that we have for the next forty, there will be some interesting challenges to those um top tiered
1: We are starting I mean, I know we've we've made a fairly
0: um amicable compromise fairly quickly. You don't know what we've been doing visually to one another whilst we've yeah. been speaking. But you know, you don't want to read the type transcripts. But the but. um
1: there is marked differences in our um Top ten preferences,
0: yeah. Yes, yes. In the tens, there are, but coming up to the five, four, three, two, one, it's not yet as wildly variant as ten to six, which kind of makes sense. You it's know. a lot easier
1: to put something in a top ten than it is a top five.
0: Yeah, yeah. You you feel like they have to earn it more, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. So that's part one of our debrief session. Our number. Our second part is to take a. Question, a topic, a discussion point that might have come to us through a friend, through our own discussions, or maybe through an email that's come through to us. That's lmtyspod at gmail.com. And Simon, do you have any queries, quibbles, or questions for us that we can discuss and really break down or just dismiss I have a point of really um... blow off?
1: I do have a point. That's that's come up in conversation. Um,
0: is This in, in general conversation, not an email this time. Uh, yes,
1: th- this is in passing conversation. But I did think it was quite pertinent, so um, I, I've decided I've elected to bring it to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine was then um, talking about when I was explaining like some of the f- matches I was watching and how they were like um, Joshi matches and what Joshi wrestling was and t- explaining that. Uh, a lot of the, mo- uh, the some of the moves I was seeing were far more advanced of what I was expecting from women's wrestling at that time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it and it came up that the question came up. The matches we were looking at the matches that admittedly on a smaller like to a smaller audience, Dave Meltzer was giving five f- these matches five star and they were that they were supreme. They were very athletic these matches. Mm-hmm. How is it that we ended up? in the uh, late 90s, early noughties, with women's wrestling being such
0: the... Oh, what's the word? Joke? Not joke, but... Well, it's it's. I mean, to be fair, women's wrestling in America had stayed a joke throughout all this mm. time. In, all, in, J- in Japan, it, it did bottom out when all Japan women... But compared... sort of lost its, It lost its TV ratings and everything But do you mean like Well a lot of it's down to like a culture that was sort of owned The women's wrestling scene was sort of owned and operated Especially in the northeast territories uh. Uh, By the fabulous Moolah And I mean there's a whole documentary about to come out Or probably has come out at the time this comes uh, This is released yeah sort of break down some of the issues. Like, there was always this argument, I remember reading that this, this theory that women's wrestling was always a decade behind what the male wrestlers were doing. Mm. Like, in the 60s, they were wrestling a 50s style. In the 70s, they were wrestling a 60s style. And, you know, it's... And so on and so forth. There were a couple that tried to break out of that. Uh, most obviously, Medusa, a.k.a. Lundra Blaze. Um, and there were better women wrestlers around, especially like uh, um, Jacqueline... Uh, I, well, you know, but even someone like Ivory, that was a very good performer, at least within that uh, division at the time, she came in through GLOW, and it wasn't, you know, a lot of them just refused to train women, you know, Sensational Sherry basically had to have a, was like slapped across the face when she first asked to join the wrestling industry, Um, and she came back, you know, and, and she had to, you know, she didn't get to wrestle anyone really for years she came in as part of the women's division but they just really abandoned that in the late 80s and she became a fantastic uh manager slash valet or whatever that you want to call her for randy savage and ted dibiase and Shawn michaels and she would very briefly get to encounter women you know she had to make sapphire try and look good at wrestlemania six and she had a brief feud with luna vashan uh in the mid nine in the early mid 90s um but women's wrestling was just was just seen as a joke and it's taken it took a long time and a lot of fighting against the men in charge that had a particular mindset you know? it's weird though like i know they had the handicap of
1: having to smash the glass ceiling whereas like men within wrestling didn't um, certain
0: men have had to. Certain men. It depends, but, depends what melanin
1: tone you've got on you. Or how much you uh, tip the weight scales at. But even yes. you look at um, what WCW's cruiserweights were doing, sometimes in spite of WCW giving them TV time, um, they were like burning it up. And like light heavyweight wrestling has taken off at this point. I mean, yes, we've seen some heavyweights compete in the six-man matches. Uncle Jumbo, an ex-Division wrestler by any stretch of the imagination, nor um, Giant Baba, who we're about to talk about fairly soon. Um, We did talk about him. We did talk about him. Sorry, he's just... It's because he's on commentary all the time. He just blurs in my mind.
0: (laughs) Um, Rocking his Mr. Rogers cardigan. Love,
1: love that man's cardigan. Love it. (laughs) Um... But you get where I'm coming from. Like, Taui, Sushi, yeah. not big men. They were like... Well, Taui is Tau-y's fucking huge. Yeah, I, I know. I, yeah, sorry. I'm, it's because he's skinny huge.
0: Yeah, Well, in Japan, the body's not as big a deal. No. Um, and this is... you, you need bulk and you need size. You know, the majority of them are like in the uh, six foot plus. In many ways, they ghettoized the junior heavyweights even more than the North America did. Because a Rey Mysterio could never win a world a heavyweight title in Japan. It's just not seen as possible. Whereas in the WWE, you know, Benoit was always a junior heavyweight. Yeah. And WCW and WWE, he was allowed to interact with the heavyweights. It's weird. It's like both ends of the scale. It's like how women are allowed to main events in Japan, but that's because they're not allowed to be in the same promotion as the men. Yeah. So it was a completely different kind of sexism that liberated the women in Japan to the men to women in in um, North America.
1: It's so weird. It's like segregation turned out to be like
0: beneficial to those women in, in a sense because they got a platform. Well, that's why yeah. No, we joked about that in the in the Joshi matches. Um, yeah, it's. It's a weird thing. It's like, like, it's, it's like that great... Did you know that for like the longest time in the Olympics, women weren't allowed to run further than 800 metres in athletics because they thought their dainty bodies couldn't take anymore? So it was like... It was sim- similar with wrestling. It was like, well, they can't really take that many bumps and that many big moves because their dainty bodies won't be able to take it. And it was taking people like Trish Stratus and them lot to like push it a little bit further each and every time along the way. And then they, get, then they get like a steel cage match every once in a while between Lita and Victoria, I think it was. Or they're allowed to do a no-holds-barred. No or Trish is allowed to do a main event of a Raw episode against Lita. And then everyone slaps themselves on the backs for how advanced they are and then just push women back for another five years after that, you know. Yeah. But that was why I was so relieved with WrestleMania uh, 34. And I think it was – 35, sorry uh, – finishing with Becky Lynch winning the title that it wasn't then what it has been for like the past couple of years. And this mass, all the women are grouping together on the bout on the, on the rampway or anything. And Stephanie and Triple H being there and dishing out flowers and everything like that. You know, I get why they did it for both their own ego, but also to make statements. But it's also a case of like that this shouldn't have been an issue ever, but it has been. And the fact that we're rectifying it now doesn't mean we should be really congratulating ourselves. We should feel sheepish that it took us this long to realise it, you know.
1: Uh, But on the flip side of that, you don't celebrate if you if you do it in a sheepish manner, you're not celebrating.
0: Well, they don't have to do it. Oh, you don't. You just don't do it at all. You don't bring up bring it up because really, you've got not that much to be proud of. Insofar, you're not breaking barriers. You're 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 walking through barriers that really shouldn't have been there in the first place. <sighs> so, like... But in some but where senses... was your original thought coming from, from the Joshi perspective? Because as is often the case, we can meander and uh, go elsewhere. In what sense? What was what was your original thought that you were coming through? I feel like we might have taken a... We might have gone away from it. Or, oh, okay. Or you were. It's,
1: it's just how we go from... Seeing matches which were like far ahead of their time, uh, and then it just didn't bleed through to North America. Like, I feel it a lot kind of what of did though with
0: Ball Meccano and the matches she was having with the London Braves in 1994, and they were like my favorite matches to watch mm. in the WWF after the matches Bret Hart was having, but it didn't stay. No, it didn't stay. No, this is it. Like,
1: anything that from the men's game in Japan. Bled through to like uh, late nineties North American wrestling. Um, again, I go into the WCW cruiserweight division as like the primary thing to highlight my point. Mm. And yes, their impacts took a, even longer to fully filter in, and some would say it's only in the, like the last decade really that the, the base embedded basic, in north america
0: the basic reason was that alundra blaze aka medusa was so far ahead of her time she genuinely was well ahead of her time uh because she went to japan and was trained in japan that there was no one that could keep up with her in, in women's wrestling because of those barriers that had been put up and you know it wouldn't have been that appealing to an athletic woman to take part in you know they, they wouldn't mm. look at some woman that is a gymnast or, or or grew up a wrestling fan wouldn't see, they don't see themselves represented as potential performers. So they, they don't see it as a potential way forward that, that a young girl, you know, a Bailey or an AJ Lee did in the nineties and the noughties. And so that meant that there was a very shallow pool of talent. Like you look at WrestleMania 10, which we're about to cover in our next couple of episodes well, our next episode and later in this episode to give you a heads up of where we're going. Um, the main event of that was, was the start of them trying to build something around Alundra Blaze. Because Vince has never had a problem with having women in there as like a an extra, you know, it's part of his like three ring circus. You know, a bit of everything for everyone. Yeah, because There was a women's division in the 80s. The problem was Alundra Blaze was basically the only woman that had turned up since then that was aesthetically good enough for what Vince likes that they could build a division around her. But look at who her opponent was at WrestleMania 10. It was the woman that was the stand-in for Fabulous Moolah at WrestleMania 1, Leilani Carr, And she was still wrestling that 70s version of women's wrestling that would have been taught to her by Moolah of the hair throws, the hair pulls, and and all that sort of stuff. And she just wasn't able to do what Alondra Blaze can do. Because she wasn't trained to do it, and she wasn't trained to look like that. And so, and so when there was no one there for Alundra Blaze to work, they had to look elsewhere. And I guess there would have been at least someone in the in the department, in the WWE, that probably was reading uh, Wrestling Observer and seeing him giving five stars out to all these all-Japan women matches, thinking, well, there must be a Japanese woman out there somewhere that we can give to Alundra Blaze. And that's what they did with Bull Nakano. And then they followed it up uh, later on with Aja Kong, and they, did a, they had a Survivor Series match, uh, in 95, which was Alundra Blaze, Bertha Faye, who was a larger woman who had experience in Japan as well, uh, and six All Japan... Like, some of the women that we're covering in this uh, thing, I think Kyoko Inawe is in that team, Seiki Hasegawa, uh, I think Toshio Yamada might be in it as well. Um, yeah, but it was just... So they knew it. They They made a brief appearance, but they just... They obviously you know... Especially in the 90s, their opinion was, well, Japanese women aren't, aren't marketable. Yeah. But to those that saw them, the pages, the Beth Phoenixes of this world that still cite Bull Nakano as a key inspiration, that was really the starting point of it, I suppose.
1: I guess. I guess so it's the... the um,
0: yeah. It was the, the first dip- time that women could be athletic enough to do it with Alundra Blaze. And then, then they got into the whole Sable thing. But then you then you fluked it with Trish Stratus, who was able to appeal to the sable things, but sable world, but also had the in-ring skills, and she could do stuff with your Molly Hollies and your liters, and then yeah. the Divas. Things. So then women but had to be.
1: She wasn't bought in for in-ring skills though. No, was she was. She? Well, she had no in-ring skills when
0: she started. Yeah, yeah, but she just developed them and turned out to be yeah. like, incre- like, Trish incredible. Trish Stratus would be an interesting one to actually cover from start to finish of her career which is something we've been discussing doing because there's someone that you see a visible improvement as a performer year on year on year to the point that like it was generally the consensus i think online that if she were a man with the amount of talent she had she would have been a multiple time world champion yeah you know with with her level of skills and if you translated her aesthetic um uh, advantages to a male equivalent yeah. then she had every tool needed to ma- main event a Wrestlemania and she had them as a female they just would never have, like they could have done a if you built it right you could have had a Trish Lita not main eventing a Monday Night Raw but maybe main eventing Wrestlemania if you'd had that foresight and that lack of prejudice that was yeah. still there at that point
1: you would need that right build and they also did have phenomenal hot male talent at that time in terms of like you know the attitude era was yeah. there it's i i'm not besmir- besmirching um trish or i'm just saying yeah. you've got to be phenomenal to get a seat at that table
0: well, considering... what year what year were they having the, those matches that would have been 2005 so i guess that was when it was the rise of batista and cena yeah but in between there, from like 19 to 21, where they were sort of recalibrating where they were going forward, I don't know if WrestleMania 20 needed to necessarily have been headlined by, you know, God, I bet they wish it was headlined by a, a Trish versus um, Lita or something like that rather than what they have now. <laughs> so, it's a difficult one because... It's, it's, it's an interesting one. and something that I think we can discuss going forward. Like I said, we want to do an episode where we have, maybe more than one episode where we discuss the stage status of women in wrestling, but we would like to do it in the company of at least one woman who can speak.
1: The <laughs> name. Um, it would, would be horrible if we, if we as just two white males ruled the rules
0: on uh, women in wrestling. be the first time though, would it? No, nor the last. No. So, that's been our discussion. It went all over the place, and I'm sure a lot of people who think of us as libtards have switched off in, in a fury. But whatever, Vince Russo, you can go and do what you like. I would never vote for a woman as president because she could get a period. Strange how much he sounds like Trump, actually, isn't it?
1: I, was, I thought you were doing a Stallone impression. <laughs> so, he, he didn't
0: actually say that, did he? He did say that a woman could should never be president. Oh, Jesus. Jesus.
1: <laughs> it's weird to think Vince McMahon was the filter. Yeah.
0: That <laughs> Vince was like, calm down, pal. It's like, all <laughs> that? No. <laughs> it's Jesus. the 20th century, goddammit. <laughs> uh, they've not the vote now and everything. <laughs> I didn't say they should, but here we are. We are where we are. <laughs> anyway, now on to the third and final part of our debrief. As previously alluded to, we talk about an alternative five-star match, a match that Dave Meltzer did not give five stars to, that maybe over time or in its moment was seen as a great match, but Dave Meltzer maybe didn't quite go there. And we're covering a match that Meltzer did give four and three quarter stars to. Our previous debriefs, we covered Magnum TA against Tully Blanchard in a steel cage match at Starrcade X5. Then we did uh, Masahiro Chono facing Kijimuto in the first G1 Climax in 1991. And then we followed that up with the first match that... Of those alternative five stars that we both gave alternative five stars to, which was my favourite match of all time, which was Bret Hart against David Boy Smith at SummerSlam 92 at Wembley Stadium. And now, by sheer happy coincidence, we are covering my second favourite match of all time. What are we covering, Simon?
1: Uh, We are talking about uh, Hart versus Hart, Bret versus Owen at WrestleMania 10.
0: Yes, it was a match that gave... 4.75 4.75 stars by Dave Meltzer. And another match on that card, he did give five stars to. And that, by happy coincidence, is our next episode. So it seems like timing-wise, we couldn't have picked a more perfect match. There are a couple more in contention. One that we seriously considered was another match that Dave Meltzer gave four and 3 quarter stars to, which was Cactus Jack facing off against Vader at Halloween Havoc 93 in a Texas Death Match, I believe it was. But Isn't that, isn't that Vengeance for the Ear thing? That's like Cactus trying to yes, I believe so. This was after his amnesia angle, and um, Cactus took a bump in that match. Foley took a bump in that match, where he was kind of hoping that it was going to be bad enough that he could claim his Lloyd's of London insurance and get out of the industry. Um, So it might be fun to watch that anyway. Well, not fun, but you know what I mean. Uh, Jesus, not in a great place at that point in his wrestling career. Even though he was having some of the best matches out there. Um, But we have gone with Bret v. Owen. Um, And like I said, it's my second-favorite match of all time. There's only one more Bret Hart match I've been thinking about it that involves him that I might make a case for, we talking as an alternative five stars. But don't worry, this isn't just going to be the Bret Hart-loving episode. Even though, as I've said, declaration of interests, he is my favorite wrestler of all time and probably will remain so for the rest of my life. And this is my second favorite match of all time. Simon, had you watched this match before? No, I Good had. Blood, man. What is wrong with you?
1: Uh, Brett's autobiography is one of the uh, few wrestling autobiographies I have read, um, so I knew the game plan. I knew Brett's feelings going into the match. Um, so I, I, I you know, I knew the finish already. Um, Very similar to the SummerSlam finish, actually. Yeah, yeah, quiet. It's um Brett <sighs> no, this uh... he doesn't he always protects himself even when he loses, which is what um a babyface at that top level should do. Yeah, especially considering yourself. the extenuating circumstances that he was going to fight for the WWE title later on yeah. this night.
0: There's protecting yourself and then this Hulk Hogan taking all the glory away from the ultimate warrior at the end of WrestleMania six and flat out saying that was his intention when he, yeah. Fights. Well, that's, that is shit and not the cool, uh, Fushi kind. But to be fair, this was at a time, and it's something I'm going to make a point of in this episode. This was at a time when in wrestling matches in the WWE, the heels cheated Yeah. and they would cheat during the match in small ways and in big ways. Owen does it in small ways at the start of the match by pulling a Brett's hair when he wants to gain the advantage in an arm, in a lock up. And he does it in larger ways towards the end of the match when he gives him a low blow when they're both in the ropes and the ref can't see. Yeah. You don't see that stuff in wrestling anymore in the WWE at least. Vince is very much of the um Treating it like a sporting thing, actually, quite oddly. You know, like, they're very strict on the tag rules. The referees have to count things as a shoot. That's what they're told to do. Yeah. And now the reason that people lose matches and they want to protect them is because someone's on the rampway with their entrance music on, whether heel or face, and that person is distracted and gets rolled up. You'd think you'd be used to that by now. Yeah. So Owen is doing... Classic heel work in this match Although it's an interesting This this is a great match as, as the telling of the story And this is one of the matches I would show to a non-wrestling fan Because they don't do anything outlandish There's no Joey Ryan dick flips Or anything like that It's not over the top in its acrobaticness But there is a great display of athleticism It's how Brett likes his wrestling Grounded, relatively realistic looking Even though there are Irish whips And all that sort of stuff and it builds up and builds up and it's telling a very relatable story. This is one of the most relatable stories that wrestling's ever given us. You know, when you think of like Stone Cold Steve Austin against Vince McMahon, the working man against the boss, you know, or um Bailey the good girl next door actually getting to win the big one. Yeah. Those sort of relatable stories that uh, people can understand. Even if you don't have a sibling, you'll have been around siblings to get an older sibling and a younger sibling's dynamic. And, and and how this is a feud where you you hear a couple of times in the match, people in the crowd audibly cheering Owen on. Yeah. So there were several younger brothers in the audience, I
1: think,
0: younger brothers and younger sisters that see where Owen's coming from. So well, I think Owen's, Owen's in the right, isn't it? Like... Yeah. Are you, you? Do you have any siblings? I'm the older sibling. I'm the Brett ah. in
1: this scenario.
0: Well, you know. Maybe it's another reason why Brett's my favourite, because I was the older sibling. Yeah. I mean, mine's, mine's a whole analyst, psychoanalyst, um, uh, uh, diagnostic nightmare, as I like to describe <laughs> it. But we won't get into that here. But essentially, I am an older, oldest sibling. Likewise. Um, and so, yeah, another probably another reason why I love Bret Hart. Us, us big brothers, we know what's right. We know what we know. What should really be doing, and we win every fight that we're in if we if we really put our heart into it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Even even though
0: even though the youngest now is several inches taller than me, <laughs> uh,
1: everyone's the same size on their back. Lord, yeah. you're
0: fine. <laughs> but I just yeah, I just love this match because it's it's fantastically athletic. It's it, they they do more moves in this match thing you would expect in a wwf match of that era yeah. there are belly-to-belly suplexes german suplexes superplexes spinning heel kicks uh japanese moves owen does a tombstone at one point so he gets very calgary stampede um uh, mm. sort of wrestling uh just like the breton Davy boy match had a bit more of a stampede wrestling style to it. Um, This was during the gap where uh, The Undertaker wasn't around, so I guess it was okay for him to do The Tombstone. Of course, he he did bring The Tombstone back to a very unfortunate situation in 97. Yes. Um, Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, Owen is my second favourite wrestler of all time for the longest time. I don't know if I would put him there now, but like I said, for the longest time, my three favourite wrestlers were Brett, Owen, and Davey. Um, so, So when it wasn't Brett v. Owen, Owen was as close as I came to rooting for a heel to do well. Uh, uh, okay. In a feud, you know.
1: Yeah, I could see that, I could see that. I could see there's a likability about him, even though he is being a big Well a relatability.
0: Yeah. It's like when WrestleMania 8 when WrestleMania 10 begins, he gets the biggest win of his life, but over his brother, he finally gets one over on his brother, but then the the event ends with Brett on the top of the mountain. He's won the world title. Yeah. And to a Brett fan, that is him overcoming such terrible odds, factoring in the knee injury, which is played so well in this match and then played up later on in the event. He, like he limps his way back to the ring it's... as in the main event. And Jim Cornette brings it up in the post match promo after Yokozuna beaten Lex Luger. Yeah. Um and and the final one of the final images you've got in the match after the commentators have signed off is you know, all these good guys have come out to celebrate Bret Hart winning the title. Burt Reynolds has gone in the ring. Gorilla Monsoon has gone in the ring. Uh, Randy Savage, Roddy Piper, Vince McMahon, all the celebrities. And they're all celebrating with Brett, and they've got him on his shoulders. And then on the entrance ramp is Owen Hart standing there. And, you know, Randy Savage pulls down the ropes and off invites him to come in. It's like maybe he's got over it himself. And no, and then there's just the camera cuts to him. Sort of shell shocked that he's lost his moments. Yeah, and uh, and, he, and, he, just and, and, and you lip read him, and you lip read him, say, "What about me?" It's oh man, it's wrestling is poetry, man. You know, wrestling is better than everything you like, <laughs> as, as John Oliver so succinctly puts it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, it, and, and in that match, it's like Owens never wanted to win a match more than this one. And he'd been for the longest time not even like a uh MIG until Survivor Series ninety three. He was pretty much losing every match he was in. He was like not not to like Curtis um Kurt uh, Hawkins levels, but he's like Zack Ryder. Yeah. At the very least, you know?
1: Yeah, he was he was just making up the numbers.
0: Yeah.
1: it's a really good match. I really lo- I, I really loved this match.
0: Had you not seen that much Bret Hart in general then? Because it doesn't seem like you've watched a lot of the stuff that I grew up on. No, really. And that's not, you know, that's not, you know, then it's like, oh, you young whippersnappers and all that sort of stuff. But like, you can understand it. Yeah. I didn't watch a lot of wrestling that was like pre-88 uh, or so. Yeah, no, we're, we like, are yeah.
1: smack bang in the middle of like the patch. I, I, I haven't watched um, wrestling wise and, and not a lot of, I've not seen a lot of Bret. No, mm. uh, I have seen the Austin Bret match.
0: Yeah, but that's uh, a very different kind of Brett.
1: That is a very different kind uh, of... So,
0: so what do you think of the Brett that you're now seeing in the Davey Boy match, which you gave five stars in this match? what is What What do you think was his appeal when you think he's coming... He's the guy that sort of leads the promotion on and off for the five or six years after Hogan leaves, the five years, the four years post-Hogan. Five years post-Hogan, sorry. His matches... The matches I've seen, the
1: pacing's always really good. Mm-hmm and pacing's very important to me uh in a match because that's how if you go too slow, you lose interest if you go too quick like a criticism or you you go too weird or like mental um like some of the josie matches we've watched as great as they are athletic from an athletic standpoint, I just think it's a bit mental it's like
0: the flow they have. Mm. I could never say that about um the Brett matches I've seen. There's nothing cheesy about what he does. He doesn't Hulk up. He doesn't, you know... he When he when he makes his comebacks, they're gradual and he's not suddenly, you know, all-powerful. He's big, but he's not too big. Yeah. He's, you know, he's not too small. He's visibly bigger than Owen, which again helps with the bigger brother, younger brother dynamic. Hmm. Um, And he just, he has that stoicism. Like I said, sort of his J- Japanese counterpart would have been Misawa. Like, everything is yeah. relatively effortless and perfect and crisp. And he doesn't betray much emotion. But, you know. Yeah.
1: But... Like Gary Cooper. Well, that's, that's a... more a Hitman sort of thing, isn't it? It's like, he's he's... Cool. Yeah, he's just like a machine that wrestles.
0: I don't know if he's a machine because he does have like like this is no, a very no 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 no, he, no it's not he, he's not like a Chris Benoit where there's nothing to him except like wrestling 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 it's like he's this good family man he's yeah a good yeah man.
1: what I what I mean by that is not that he doesn't emote quite the opposite it's just that even when he does emote it's like very very brief It's... he he, he when he emote between wrestling moves or during wrestling moves it's very brief. Like, he's always a man that's composed like a hitman. But his family, like, ties do have, like, the tiniest bits of, like, impact on him. You, you get where I'm coming from there. He's not, like, wild and flamboyant and, like, talking about rocket fuel, like, Ultimate Warrior. Uh, he's no. not, like, um, putting his arms above his head, a la Macho Man, before he goes off the
0: top rope. He's not. No. Pa- he doesn't pander. He doesn't hype. Yeah, he 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 does, yeah he's not... Yeah, he doesn't milk it, but he, like when he makes his entrance, he's egging the crowd on. He's got, he he is he is charismatic. He's energetic, especially yeah. when he does that, waving his arms, going towards the each side of the ring with his jacket on, going out into the crowd, giving his sunglasses away to a an Owen Hart fan, as Jerry Lawler puts it. <laughs> I have to say that as well. Jerry Lawler does great commentary in this match. He does. This is, this is pre puppies, puppies, puppies. And it's also coming off of one of the most heated feuds of 1993, him and Bret Hart, which wasn't allowed to reach its natural conclusion, which would have been the Survivor Series, which sets off the Owen match. That's yeah. how it was supposed to be. Like, Jerry Lawler with his knights come out. They get decimated. They get wiped out. Stands to Jerry against all four hearts. He sneaks a win against Owen. He would have probably lost legit instead of taking the count-out loss that Shawn Michaels takes in that yeah. match. He would have probably had to submit to the sharpshooter in the ring. But then that means they just delay that feud and he gets its payoff in 95 instead. Um, but he, he, you can see that, like, his hatred of Brett throughout the whole match. But he also says these great things about Owen. He says, Owen knows Brett, Brett better than Brett knows. He yeah. knew he was going to do that before Brett knew it. And how determined Owen Hart was. And he gets across that sense of how wronged Owen feels and how... Desperate, he used to jump out of the shadow, as they kept saying, which was some of that was brought up in, like, say, the Survivor Series. It was just such a great story told over five months, you know, and it's it's the best Owen, the highest peak Owen ever got to, uh, being the perennial challenger for the WWF title for the rest of '94, but then staying in the upper mid cards for the next few years, yeah. you know. He was like, I guess you could kind of say maybe like um, I guess maybe like Christian in that sort of status. Maybe a bit higher than Christian. And he had a chance 98 post the Montreal screw job because he stayed in the WWF. And I thought he could have got it. And maybe if Shawn Michaels had not been injured, maybe they would have picked that back up afterwards. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it, it was there to do. Like, yeah. Paper. But they, you know. So that was another. Yeah. We won't, you know, let's not get too much. I know in heart is one of the great, maybe the greatest tragedy of wrestling ever. Um. Maybe the biggest wrestling news story of ever, you know, of like the the 90s, you know, was his. Yeah. Um, and that might be another reason why he stayed so high on my rankings for the longest time because of yeah. what could have been he could have, you know. Well, you wonder if he'd have been around in 2000 when, you know, you Chris Benoit and them not come along and Eddie Guerrero, what he could have done with them if he was still. Oh. interested his wife says that yeah. he was getting ready to leave anyway so maybe that would have been the case you know this time he was the blue blazer so god knows what they would have done with him going forward um but i i just like i just love this it's a technique it starts off technical and then it get owen gets frustrated by brett sort of out wrestling him on the mat and brett doesn't want to get it too aggressive and then owen forces it to be aggressive and there's like two stages of his heat segment. he has his opening stage where he's sort of beating him up and then Brett comes back, does a flying body press to the outside, hurts his knee. And then Owen works the knee brilliantly doing like figure fours, Indian death locks, um, just beating on his knee just and tss. mocking Brett's limping around. I did place. love
1: that. I did love that. He's got, he's got a to touch the shits house about him in this match.
0: Yes, there is a shithouse within Owen and, and he plays up that bratty character for the next few years. Uh, both with Bret and, and, and after Bret and the whole slammy award winning and everything. And, and like, everything about Owen f- until he reforms the Heart Foundation is essentially defined by his obsession with Bret. Like, when their feud ends around January 95 or so, Owen then goes on to being obsessed with beating Bret as, like, winning the Triple Crown. So he forms a tag team with Yokozuna, the guy that beat him for the world title at WrestleMania 11. And, you know... And so... His character is always defined by Brett and, and being a younger brother. He has that snotty younger brother character throughout the rest of his run until they reunite in 97. Yeah. And then he's... he becomes like the like hero-worshipping younger brother. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, that's what they all fall in. And mm. Brett's not like a cult
0: leader, but he's got like
1: a very adoring... Yeah. Yeah, family. Well, that whole that whole, Easter, that that whole
0: reunion angles again. One of my favorite angles in wrestling ever, and the look that Brett gives the crowd when they're in their group hug, and it's like, is that a look of I've got these two tricks, or is it a look of I'm we're better than you, and I've got my backer You know, it's just yeah. oh, wonderful stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the, then they go into the finish, the the double sharpshooter spot where they finally you finally find out that there is a counter, and Brett, <laughs> Brett kind of has to reveal. The way to counter his own finishing hold, mm. which is a great way of doing it as well, of you hooking one of the outside legs that trips him up, and then you're able to put the sharpshooter on yourself. You know, yeah, I loved that when I saw that.
1: And like the fact that he did it, and then Owen was like, within at the ropes like that." Yeah. I was just like, "Oh, come on!" Yeah. All that for that? Like, I, I've I've played my um, trump card. I've I've, expl- I've shown my weakness, and it's immediately like for nothing.
0: Yeah. So, and then we come to the finish, Brett uh, gets whipped into the corner, hits Owen, uh, charging coming in, goes for a victory roll, which is what he won the King of the Ring with against Bam Bam Bigelow that, that year, in 93. Mm-hmm. But Owen is able to block it, gets his knees onto Brett's shoulders with the legs hooked back. Very similar to the British Bull, kind of like the a reverse of the cradle that British Bulldog has on him where it's a sunset flip reversal this time it's a victory roll reversal yeah um and it's like a perfect combination impossible to kick out of in that moment and brett gets the surprise loss and it's as close to a clean victory that you can give a heel without them being just an outright you know the the bad the baby face looking bad and that was important back then you know the heel needs to cheat to win and um, unless it works within this context of the story and this did work because it was a baby, like a baby brother, not
1: cleanly defeating his older brother, but sort of
0: outsmarting him in just yeah. out that hot second. And Owen is as shocked as everyone else is.
1: That's, that facial expression is brilliant.
0: <laughs> and Jerry Lawler's saying, the world
1: is in shock.
0: And then Vince going, I'm in shock. <laughs>
1: Oh, Vince on commentary. Oh.
0: Vince did an okay job on commentary. He did, he's okay. He What's did. shocking is how many times he says wrestling. What's in a in maneuver? Yes, but he does say wrestling, a scientific yeah. classic wrestling match. And it's like, now they have to jump through so many weird verbal Hoops. boundaries to say he's one of the finest sports entertainers of his time. And it's like, you literally can't say the word wrestling, even in an event called WrestleMania. Yeah. You know, I've got nothing against them wanting to say it's sports entertainment, but it doesn't. Have, you, you can say wrestle. You can say both. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. When people say, "What are you watching?" they will say the wrestling. That's Not the thing that the sports entertainment never get. You know. But but he's, anyway, he's he's just, he's made his decision. He's he's gonna go with it. We are where we are. So exactly. Simon, would you give this one like the last one, five stars? I would. Yay. Yeah, no, I'm not going to ask
1: the man who termed this his second favorite. <laughs> no, I'd say it's four
0: ones. and a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you prefer? The SummerSlam or the WrestleMania? Oh, I think I like the SummerSlam. Uh, the rest, the SummerSlam one slightly more. Do you think the story of the brothers is what made it? And also Owen is clearly cognizant and doing his part of the match.
1: Yeah. No, no, I'm going the other way. I'm saying Bulldogs a... I'm saying the Bulldog match was slightly better. Oh the Bulldog match was slightly yeah. better. Okay, sorry. I just think the um it's very weird that there wasn't much of a like a promo package before the match. Mm. That 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 always strikes me as weird. Um it seems like I've always grown up in the WrestleMania where like sometimes the promo package is better than the match itself. Yeah. <laughs> um but I I did love the presentation of the uh, the SummerSlam match. I think they got a little bit wilder, and maybe that just appeals to me. Just that hair more. Yeah. This is this is also they're both you know.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that sign. Of course, I would say that as well. And so that's been our third debrief. We'll be back again in 10 episodes' time with another debrief after we've gone through all the next matches on this list. Um, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with more questions for us to discuss afterwards uh, in this show or, or maybe on another one, how can they do that? Uh, then get in
1: touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, free for the amount of times I'll have to convince Lorcan
0: not to put another Bret Hart match forward for, for our next debrief. my name's Lorcan Malanas L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Avenger N for uh, Nautical Adventures (laughs) N N for Namor the Submariner who maybe will turn up in Avengers 4 uh, Avengers 5 was the talk of all the earthquakes underwater a sign of him coming? who knows? yes we have recorded this one just after Avengers Endgame um (laughs) But until And if you want to get in touch with the show itself, it's lmtyspod at gmail.com. We will bring up those queries in these sorts of episodes. And we're going to stay at Madison Square Garden for WrestleMania 10 because there was a match on this card that Dave Meltzer did give five stars to. Is is it a two five-star match show? In our opinion, we'll have to find out as it's the ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. I think, as we were saying with the Dynamite Kid Tiger Mask match, you could make a case for this being maybe one of the most artistically influential matches in wrestling history. And really the start of the showstopper era for Shawn Michaels,
1: perhaps.
0: Hey, so you did it there. Mmm. But until then, my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.